0: Live from Sydney, this is Yitzhak Tobel, Building Jerusalem. Jeremy Isaac. Jeremy Isaac is a partner in health food brand DJNA. He's an amateur games designer, and he's one of my favorite conversationalists in the whole damn world. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Always. Uh, I wanted to jump right in with something we were talking about off camera or off mic before. Um, you, you said you woke up the other the other day after um, a night of despair. You put it.
1: A night of despair.
0: And you decided you were going to start listening.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so basically uh, I have been experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety for the first time in my life, started four months, uh, about five months ago, and on and off, uh, getting really bad, Got, getting to points where I would just be telling people that I love that I didn't want to live any longer and all, that, all this kind of stuff. And uh, the only reason why I'm still alive is because of you and all, all that all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I was just in, in the depths of despair. And uh, I remember I was with my family on Saturday afternoon, just telling them, look, I don't think I'm going to make it. Just mat- very matter of fact, you know, and I, I just really scared them because when you say it as a matter of fact, rather than... I think in tears, maybe, maybe people might take it more seriously. So scaring my family. Then I woke up on Monday and I tried to really hard to, to do the whole meditation, mindfulness, being present in the moment thing. After being really, really scared of, of even thinking, you know, you can get anxiety where you can start to feel anxious about something. And then you got start to feel anxiety about the anxiety. Will this make me anxious and that makes you anxious mm-hmm. and it becomes a spiral. So um, I became anxious of anxiety uh, after four months of on and off anxiety and depression and uh, so I woke up feeling worried about. Being, being conscious and, and what am I going to worry about now? What am I going to think about? What, what way will I imagine killing myself? And uh, I woke up like that and I just stopped and th- thought, okay, I'm going to put all my effort into being present. So I'm going to listen to every single sound. I, I decided to use sound as the kind of the vehicle of where to put, where to put my attention. And uh, I listened to every single sound. There was some construction on the street and I tried to listen to it. I tried to uh, not just hear it, but uh, kind of like even wait for the next sound to come along. Kind of a sense of, uh, it's almost like a game that you might play where you, you, when will it will the sound come back and you kind of wait for it and then there it is, if that makes sense. Kind of very poised kind of uh, concentration. And I sat there in the bed for about 10 minutes and I realised that, hey, I didn't have a single negative thought. I was just constantly focused on on the sound, brushed my teeth, got out of bed, had breakfast, listened to every single clink of the the, the uh the cutlery that my family was creating in the kitchen, sitting there, listening to the birds, listening to the cars on the street. And I noticed that there are so many sounds in the background. It's not just creaks in the room, but like on the street far away, you hear things. And you realize that there's just so many things that you could place your attention on that you don't, you ignore. And there's just so much content out there to kind of fill the space of your consciousness to keep it busy so you're not worrying about whatever it is that you you tend to worry about. So anyways, I was listening to the sounds and I found that listening was really useful for me Uh, rather than feeling. Some people meditate on the breath, feeling the breath coming in and out. But for me, the breath didn't really work as well. It was more listening to, to all the different sounds and I spent the whole day, I drove to work I with the windows down, listening to the cars, sounds, and trying to pick apart. There were different games that I kind of created for myself. So picking, deconstructing sounds. So a truck might actually be not, you might think of it, that sounds like a truck. Mm-hmm. But really a, a truck makes maybe five or six different distinctive sounds. There's a rumbling, kind of a clattering. There's... There's a kind of um, muffled wind sound. There's a lot of sounds that it that it makes. The breaks. The, so trying to tease apart. It's like listening to a song and saying that's the vocals, that's the, that's the piano, and you can do that with sounds. It's very hard to do sometimes. Sometimes it's easier depending on the content. So I, I created a game of that. And when you create a game of something, it kind of increases your your focus. Games do this to you. They, they increase flow. So I think in my life, the most present that I've ever been is playing playing games, you know, growing up, playing Starcraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. And being, I mean, I remember when I was very young and I had three teeth pulled out and I was on painkillers. And I remember distinctively playing Warcraft and for that entire hour, I didn't notice the pain. Yeah. It's kind of that flow that you feel... Games. There's something about games that grabs you and increases flow. So I was so I was instinctively drawn to that. I used that. I made a game out of my meditation and uh, listening to people talk. Um, like when my father was talking to me, I made a game of it, trying to trying to hear his his words as if I couldn't understand what he was saying. It's a strange thing to do. And it's a hard thing to do because you are in- instinctively, your mind wants to understand what someone's telling you. And I was trying to hear just the sounds of his voice and be very present and listen to what he was saying, but just the sounds of his voice as he was saying them. And I noticed that English is a very interesting sounding language. It has a lot of a S in it, I never noticed, you know. Noticed? You heard that there. So there's a lot. Of, it was something that I noticed listening to him, and in, in the noticing, in in that five minutes that he was talking to me, I was very present and I wasn't worrying about the things that I was normally worrying about. And I said, you know what? I just had two hours of, of, of without any worries. I've just been completely obsessively focused on the noises, and I felt really calm. And it kind of, that clicked for me. It kind of worked in, in some strange way. Going to work, being, being in the office and hearing all the, the noises. Uh, and uh, there's so many noises in an office. Oh, my God. People talking and whatever, everything. And you can sit there and, and, and listen to the sounds and you can try and hear every single sound that's in, in the room and try and catalogue it and, and make a game of that. And when you notice a new sound, okay, that's, you've just scored a point, so to speak. So can I, can I find a new sound in this sound space? I've already heard 20. Can I, is there anything else? And that can be a game. And then the moment that you're in that game, you're in a very heightened state of flow, I find, more than just simply waiting and listening. That worked for me. And yeah, so I noticed that that kind of practicing that that, that game almost got me into the habit of reflexively listening. I noticed that I hear, I notice, I'm noticing birds more, I'm noticing background sounds more and I catch myself listening to mundane sounds. Rather than catching myself listening to, uh, uh, thinking about a worry, something that I think I uh, I can't deal with this, I have to do this, I have to do that, I can't deal with that. I'm gonna, I want to, I just want to end it all, something like that. Being lost in your worries or your thoughts, I was lost in, in sound almost, and I thought to myself, wow, it's almost like, you get into mental habits when you when you do something a lot you tend to keep doing it. It's kind of like having a song stuck in your head almost. Uh, And uh, you almost do it subconsciously, I, I think. You know, I think there might be some truth to the idea that when you worry, all right, when you notice that you're worrying, okay, you might say okay i got to stop thinking about this now focus on something else you caught yourself worrying but there was a point in which you were worrying and you didn't catch yourself okay that's that that's the suffering but i think there might be a more subtle thing going on there might be a subconscious worrying as the brain puts together its thoughts it might be worrying in a way that you know, it's kind of sub subconscious. You, you haven't, you haven't, you're not really, it's not really there to catch, but you're still suffering it in, in some, some degree. In the same way that uh, I wasn't really hearing the bird noises before. And the fact that I was noticing it more meant that I must have been doing some, a lot more subconscious processing of it for it to raise to the surface. So in, in a sense, you're, you're, you're training your subconscious mind to think about something. So it's a lot easier to think about it reflexively, if that makes sense.
0: So, so the, the bird noises are always coming in. In some sense, you have to some part of you has to be noticing them all the time. And what you've done is you've just sort of raised the prestige of those parts and said, Yes. Let me know when the bird noises come.
1: Uh, abso- yeah. Imagine you have a... Maybe you could think of the mind like a, a council of, of elders... And some of them are actually represent the conscious thoughts that you have and some of the unconscious thoughts. So when you train the elders to pay attention to to sounds, I think the unconscious elders are also trained, if that makes some sense, you know? So that when you, when a few of those elders come online and become conscious and they stand up off from their chair and say, I'm conscious now, well, it's easier for them when they, when that, that elder, if you train that elder to be listening to sound, so to speak, it's a weird metaphor.
0: Go with it, go with yeah.
1: it. Yeah, but uh, so, so that elder was lost in sound before you were conscious of, of him or her, right? The, habit, so,
0: the habits sort of get um, ingrained even
1: Subconsciously, um, on, right? Some I, I got a, got a sense of that because I was catching myself listening. How, how could I be catching myself listening if I wasn't subconsciously listening to it? And then, and then I caught myself. So the thinking happens before the catching. Sure. That makes sense. So you're training yourself. You're not only training yourself to be a good catcher, but you're also training yourself to to to, to think about. I want to be a better listener now, and so. It just makes things easier. I was, I was catching myself. I didn't have to f- kind of wrestle with the bear of, of my worries because oh, I was just thinking about noises just then mm. and I didn't even need to try. So I think there's something to be said about not only training your the observing mind, the ability to catch yourself, but tra- training the mind itself, the, the character of your thoughts, the habits of your thoughts, so that when you... Catch yourself, catching something neutral or positive and it's all good. So, uh, yeah, I think that's what happened to me. So uh, ever since Monday, I've been pretty relaxed and, and kind of like whenever I need to be present, I can switch it on, kind of. It's still early days. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been experiencing.
0: Sounds really good. I, I remember you, you mentioned something else um, just now off, count, off mic where you said that part of the value of this is not just that you're getting a, a break from worry, but it's that you're, you're teaching yourself that the spiral of worry and worrying about worrying um, can be broken. And yeah. just, just that confidence that you know you can yeah be somewhere else, that you can switch off that spiral, like makes the whole spiral much less threatening in the person. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think you explained it quite well. It's, uh, yeah, so the, the, it's almost like the worrying of the worrying is worse than the worrying. Yeah. The worrying of the worrying is, is a thing that we you really lose control. And when you have that off switch someone says, here's your off switch, you, you can use it whenever you like, but you don't have to use it and you don't have the worry of the worry anymore. So you never have to press that button really. Yeah. So... That's what I kind of experienced. Oh, I can always go into a state where I'm not worrying because I'm, I'm laser-like focus on what I can hear. And it's hard to do. It takes practice and you, 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 can, you lose you lose it after a while. And I think that everyone is different. Probably other people wouldn't find that as their optimal way of being present. But for me, it worked. I don't really... Listening to a lot of podcasts about meditation and stuff... Um, a lot of it was about breath, of sens- body sensations, body scans. Not so much about listening to the noises. Yeah. There were some, but not so much. And that's a shame, I think. It gets mentioned
0: yeah. here and there, here but and there. it's usually like sort of a background thing. Yeah. If there happens to be a noise during this session, allow the noise to lead you deeper. But the main thing we're focusing on is yeah. something else.
1: Yeah. So I guess you have to find what works for you, maybe. And um, yeah, so that kind of works for me. Uh, no, well,
0: I, just just um, meeting you this morning, as you came in, speaking to you the first few, the, just the first few words, I, I noticed this, you, you said that it's uh, becoming easier for you to be more present. And I noticed that um, you had a sort of different focus to you, because you've, you've always had this um, very intense focus when, when discussing something that's at the edge of, at the edge of thought. So when we're when we're talking about something, we're developing ideas together. I find you're always extremely like laser focused. Uh, but what you had just just coming in this morning, like the way it seemed to me was um, a uh, and a, a sort of presence with like an awareness of, a, of an awareness of pain, like a okay things things hurt a bit, but it's all right, and a, um, a an anticipatory listening, a sort of a patience, like you could just sit here and and we can be together and we haven't yet started talking about anything particularly interesting mm. and i think that's a it's a different sort of it's a different sort of presence
1: mm. yeah i mean uh yeah um for me yeah you can you can be thinking or you can be feeling i suppose the two two modes and um i i guess for a lot of my life, I didn't really think about that. I just was lost in thought, and uh, now it's good to be lost in feeling. I think you know it's it's a nice it's a nice thing to do. I think you know human beings are worrying machines, but we're also um, perception machines, and our brain is always uh, trying to decide what to focus on. We have a superpower, mm-hmm. I believe, and that's attention. I think that's, it's, just think about for a second what attention is. It's kind of a very strange thing. Think, you can think human beings, we can, we can move our bodies, we can lift our hand, and that's just the, bot, the mind thinking, I, I want to lift my hand now, I know what muscles to recruit to do that. But what about attention? It's a very strange thing to be sitting there and, and saying, okay, I'm going to now focus on something else. You're not really moving a muscle. You're just sitting there. Something's happening in your brain. The electric wires are uh, firing in a different way, a different pattern in such that you're now experiencing the sound instead of the worry or the taste. It's it's quite strange. It doesn't
0: really come with any uh, obvious external Difference in movement.
1: No, obviously it's all happening with the electrical impulses in your brain. Something about something about the the pattern of impulses in your brain uh, creates a aware, awareness, and it's just a strange thing to say. I want you to I want you to now focus on breathing. I want now, now I want you to focus on the sensation of this, focus on the sensation of that. I think it's almost like a superpower in some way that you can. You you have consciousness, but you can move your consciousness to different aspects of of what's ha- happening. And I think that's kind of a, it's a strange thing that what we can do, and I think that's kind of the key to evading pain, in a way because you can you can use the the spotlight of con- consciousness is kind of it's almost like. There's a stage and lots of things are happening and you have a spotlight and it's a very focused spotlight and you can move the spotlight. Mm. And I think that's the superpower that I'm trying to The ability to, get to, across. S-
0: to switch the spotlight Around. from one character to another. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I think that that's, that's quite interesting that we can actually do that at a moment's notice and all of a sudden, just like playing Warcraft, the pain's gone.
0: Right, because the spotlight's somewhere else. Yeah. The spotlight's on the battlefield of Orcs and Humans. Yeah. It's it's uh, interesting, like going um, one step beyond the sort of evasion, the simple evasion of pain. So uh, you kind of have this this option where you have you have your, tooth, your teeth extracted that you can take that spotlight and go instead of shining on the teeth all the time. I'm going to shine on Warcraft because that's mm. something that's even more compelling than the teeth, and cause I'm on that, I'm not noticing the pain. Mm. Um, so there, there's value to any sort of activity that. Um, draws you away from your suffering, mm. uh, but that that value seems very local. But what's interesting to me about um, about meditative training of all sorts um, is that you're you're learning sort of sort of like by default, I would say, like for the, the standard Western mind, you are sort of um, up there at your at your um, running the lights. But you really don't understand. Like the the stage is a chaotic place, and mm. some some one of the dark shapes down there is going to be moving with the most energy, or moving like jumping the highest, and you're just gonna your, your light's gonna switch over to, to that, and then if mm. something else moves faster, mm-hmm. you switch over again. Um, and yeah. then often, if there's like intense suffering of some kind, that's where the light will go all the time, unless yeah. you have something else really powerful that distract it. Yeah. Uh, but but I think what you learn with meditation is like you just remember that you're you're actually running the light. Mm. And if you want, you can take the light and move it over here. Mm. And you can watch this for a bit. Mm. And what will happen is because you're, you're so used to just, you know, constantly leaping over to whatever's making the most noise or mm. jumping the highest, um, you may find that if you turn the light over here for a while, that you can only sustain that for like a few mm. seconds or a minute and then it'll naturally drift back to the to you know whatever was had your goat beforehand. But then you you can watch you'll watch that for a bit lost and you go, wait a second, what I'm here to do is train this mm. spotlight. And you can actually move it back manually mm. again. Mm. And just that that process of just like learning that you can mm. choose where that um, where your spotlight's directed, mm. um, it doesn't just allow you to some time off from the suffering, which is what say, a good video game would or Mm. any sort of, some sort of good attention grabbing device doesn't just offer you time off. What it also does is sort of um, uh, teach you uh, that you have the ability to lose your attention, whenever you like, it gives you that a sort of a dignity, a dignity, but also like a, um, a a power, a sense of personal competence. Mm. So um, a lot of what, a lot of what the, the, the fear of, suffering is once I start suffering, I'm going to be watching the suffering. The suffering is going mm. to consume me and then that's just going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. But th- that confidence in your own ability to move the light mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. Just that, that, that means that, well, the suffering is going to show up and, you know, maybe I'll have to notice some of that for a bit, mm. um, but I can always bring my attention over here yeah. as well.
1: Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good to know that you have, kind of taking back some control of your your mind. And uh for, yeah you can you can do this. I tend to find that I'm actually better when it's informal, when I'm when I'm at the traffic lights or someone's talking to me rather than sitting down for 10 minutes and, and saying
0: now I'm doing this, yeah, I'm doing yeah. this.
1: Yeah. It's almost more helpful to to be meditating when you're in life rather than you're in your room yeah, sure. relaxed. So uh, and it's more of a fun game for me to, to bring it to, to life rather than to, to just sitting around. So, yeah, I, I've been practicing that. Uh, I guess it's helping. Other things that are helping is finding what, what makes me happy, what interests me, what stimulates my attention, what grabs me. Uh, so I've been getting into some of the things that i have used to enjoy, I think, growing up. And that's really helping. Games um,
0: design is a relatively new passion for you.
1: Yeah, I've been designing a strategy card game. And uh, I, I, again, it's, it, I, what I'm interested in with that is, what makes a game fun? What is it about a game that's, that makes it fun? So like you think about poker, Texas Hold'em poker you have what's one part of that's fun about poker is the flop for instance you need these cards and you you're looking at the card turnover and in the moment the card turns around your brain scans it and there's this kind of like leap of excitement as you don't know what it is and you realize what it is that kind of card turn moment mm. is very is very fun in poker and it's addictive and that's what poker machines use it's, it's very familiar. addictive yeah, the constant, like, flash of, I'm, am I going to see it? Am I going to see it? And then you get shown something and then you look at it. And that constant um, revealing of the card, revealing of the card is very addictive. So that's an that's aspect of, of a game that I, that I liked. I wanted to incorporate that um, in my game. And uh, there's so many other things. Like, I, I, like, I like the idea of bluffing. So I'm incorporating that in, in, in my game because that creates a very human, the moment that, you're, that you incorporate bluffing, it brings the game off the table into the real world and looking into someone's eyes and trying to figure out if they're lying. It's very social. Mm. And so I wanted to incorporate that. Um, but then you've got the other, other things that strategy games have that people love, like, like uh, building, building your base, Deciding on your type of army, seeing what, you, what your opponent has and changing your strategy and sending your army into battle and then seeing how they do. Seeing how they do is another fun thing. It's kind of like the, the, almost like the Lemmings effect where you have, you have these things and you want to see how they do and you watch them do their thing. In, in, you're kind of at the edge of your seat, you know.
0: Is lemmings like the video
1: game? Yeah, the, the video yeah, that game. That was
0: crazy because you get to yeah. give orders to a few of them, but most yeah. of them just gotta walk.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. And
0: how will you give yeah. orders like the three or four yeah. lemmings that yeah. actually actually yeah. put up walls
1: or dig yeah. or whatever? Yeah, the fun happens when you're doing nothing but like anticipating and watching.
0: <sighs> that was such a stressful game for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I noticed this because I've, um, now that you're describing it for the first time, because I've, I've played a bit of, of your, I, are we in the beta now? Are we in the yeah, flop? we're in the beta. We're in the beta. I've been, I've, so I've been playing a bit of this game with you as, as you build it. Yeah. And as you're describing these these things about them, I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Your game yeah. does have a flop. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's yeah. strange to me because I don't think I've ever seen a strategy game that's built around like, the construction of barracks and archery ranges and Mm. and building of troops and attacking the enemy base and all that also have a flop. That's like, Mm -hmm. those are two game components that I don't think I've seen go together.
1: Yeah. I think it's fun to to put two things together. I think where when you put two things together and it makes amazing sense, that's really rewarding to the brain. Think about a pun. Yeah. When there's two meanings to something, and you suddenly realize both meanings at the same time, and it makes it makes you laugh. There's something about the sudden uh, making sense of something, and then it also makes sense in another way at the same time in your brain, hmm. and that that's 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 very enjoyable. It's a, it's a new hyperlink. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Something ah. like that. So in a game where you, when you, I'm adding bluffing and and all, these different aspects to the game, and you're playing it, and you're enjoying it in different ways. Like, hey, this is a really cool game and you're, you're bouncing between the different moments of enjoyment, the different types of enjoyment, uh, I think that's k- kind of very addictive. So I'm trying to, to do that um, in my game. Also, I'm trying to incorporate dexterity, so getting the physicality of, of the game. I, I'm trying to create a game that's less poker and more badminton, but with cards, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I noticed that something you have to be able to do is like move your hands around real fast.
1: Yeah, move around. I'm trying to make it so that you're jumping up and down across the table and, you know, almost like playing a competitive sport almost. So see how it goes. Uh, Most people are quite lazy, so maybe they won't won't want to get off their chair. But uh, it's, it's almost like a new genre, competitive sport card game. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to create that whole new genre of game. So that's what I've been working on. That's been very rewarding because um, I'm very creative. And uh, whenever I figure something out in the game that I think will work, that moment is like a moment of ecstasy for me. It's the best time of my day when I feel, oh, you know what? That's going to be fun to do it this way. And that, that, that moment of insight is very, very rewarding and addictive. And uh, so I've been working on that, um, and even just playing games to understand again what makes a game fun. Getting back to my roots and playing old strategy games and card games and Magic the Gathering and De- Star Wars Destiny and different different games um, to see uh, what's enjoyable. I really think that that all what games are trying to do is bring you to that state of flow that everyone wants to be in whether you're listening to music or or uh, whether you're socializing playing a game or if you're an artist and you're painting that that kind of living in the moment of flow I think is kind of like one of the ultimate states to be in and uh, I'm very interested in that so really I'm 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 trying to to uh, entertain you and bring you into like a really really heightened state of of, of concentration. I'm, I want you to be they, in, in the game in the in the computer game world. They call it I think they call it like actions per minute APM. Oh
0: um, yeah, yeah, I've heard this. Yeah,
1: clicks per minute, or see something like that.
0: Yeah, in StarCraft yeah. world, it's a yeah, big yeah. deal.
1: It's a big deal. So the, the game, the pro gamers. They'll actually monitor how many clicks they can do in, in a minute. I
0: think that like like the pros now, it's what, it's like three or four hundred or something. Something
1: ridiculous. A
0: click individual yeah. clicks in the mouse that all mean yeah. something.
1: Yeah, they all mean something. It shows you how fast their mind is working. So I'm trying to, to create that in the game as well. And bring some physicality to two to card games that, that I think is lacking. And also bring us away from the computer for a second or the iPad and back to physical objects and in a room. You know, I think we're, we're losing that more and more. Um, when you see kids on their iPads playing games rather than interacting with the world and objects, uh, you, you kind of like, you feel like you're losing something there. We're, we're, we're still, at the, we're apes. So maybe we're losing something by going into playing the, on an iPad, maybe we're kind of s- quietly suffering in some way that we're not aware of. Whereas when we're in the real world, we're interacting, we're using more of our senses, and maybe it's just more of a healthy thing to be doing. So I'm trying to create that, that kind of uh, physicality. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes.
0: So good luck with it. Do you have, a, you have a, a name for the game yet, or it's still, in, still tentatively uh, entitled...
1: I'm thinking Cardcraft. I mean, everyone who grew up playing games knows what that, that sounds means. like.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think
1: I just escaped IP theft. What so Cardcraft. Card craft.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably fine. Yeah. Well, the fact that like Warcraft exists and Starcraft, are they, yeah. run, by, are they run by the same company? Yeah, they're the yeah. same company. No, yeah. I don't lizard.
1: know. Maybe I'll be in some hot water. We'll see. You don't want
0: to fight Blizzard Yeah. It's not worth we'll it. We'll see what
1: happens. Yeah. Um, so that's going to that's gonna be fun. Um, yeah, besides that, I didn't really find that exercise helped, but I do find that cold showers really help with the kind of state of euphoria. Oh,
0: really? Have
1: you ever tried taking really cold showers? All the time. In the morning? Yeah. When you wake up? Yeah. And just kind of torture yourself for five minutes. You kind of feel euphoric for a few hours. It's
0: it doesn't last a few hours, but yeah
1: there's definitely a euphoria afterwards that follows yeah ah oh, yes yeah. so I think once i felt I felt quite euphoric for a few hours, sometimes not really, mm. but there's something about really cold showers that that helps, and I think maybe if someone was to actually put the two together. I know there's hot yoga, but there isn't cold um Called Pilates or something. Someone should create, you know. Someone absolutely should not yeah. create called
0: Pilates. <laughs> it's just like Pilates, but the room's really cold. Yeah. And you're probably gonna get injured. Yeah, enjoy.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> so you really, to... you you really have to be freezing and working your butt off at the same time. I think yeah. that would just spike. That would take you to euphoria in, in ten minutes, probably. But
0: I think I think yeah. the, the fear that you're gonna hurt yourself, like. Because, you know, injuries, I think, are more likely if, in, in, if you exercise when it's cold. That's why yeah. like, warming up is yeah. a thing. But it's, um, yeah. it reminds me of this, this cool thing I, I picked up off the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series, um, where there's this device uh, that they have, like, attached their arm um, that's, like, a limiter or something. And the idea is that, like, if they're running away from aliens, um, they can press it and it'll suddenly give them or simulate a broken arm. So it's like now they're in a position of, uh, of intense struggle and therefore like the human spirit rises <laughs> and they're more confident in escaping yeah. from the alien.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a bit like that. Well, I... I mean, in that same regard, you could one day become a cyborg and press a button and, and maybe simulate ecstasy mm. and you could just press it as many times as you felt necessary. That might actually be a reality.
0: We've, we've done that. This is like a, they, they tell you about this in undergrad psych. Um, they, what they do is they wire, they get wires straight into the um, dopamine release systems in the, in the brain and they hook that wire up to a button. They do, they give this to rats and the rats are just like, yeah, I'm just going to press that button until I die and press yeah. the button until he dies. But then they tried it on people, like this is back when you could run these sorts of oh, tricks wow, on people. Yeah. And like the people were acting the same way, just yeah. mashing the button, and then they're like, "Okay, the experiment's over now." I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I need more time here, and they just kept going. And then like, um, I can't remember the descriptions they gave after. So they were really tragic. Really, like yeah, like after they're so, like, "So how was that?" It's like, I'm so cold out here. <laughs> Put me back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, I mean, you might think, yeah, it's all relative, like. You're gonna press the button, but then when you're not pressing the button, you're miserable. Mm.
0: So this is this is what I was thinking about this actually. Like that's why I think you can't actually do happiness properly on that level of analysis. Mm. And like the, here, here the um, the the old Buddhist thought is like really good on this uh, because you know, like we're uh, we think about this with our modern understanding of neurochemistry, and it's like I've seen a T-shirt that says. Um, Dopamine and serotonin—technically the only two things you enjoy—and mm. it's like, on some level, that's true because, like, your, your brain chemistry is being um, moderated by these two different neuropeptides. Um, but there's this there's this paper by uh, P.W. Anderson, I think from like 1978 or something. Mm. He was, in, and it's called "More Is Different." Mm-hmm. And the uh, the essential idea of this paper is that. Yeah, technically, if you know all the laws of physics perfectly, you can deduce all the laws of chemistry, and if you know all the laws of chemistry perfectly, you can deduce all the laws of biology and so on upwards. But like practically, not at all. This not at all so. And he gives this example. He's like, look, here's a, here's a, uh, an atomic system. Here, I, I'm I'm not good at the <clears throat> at the actual physics involved, but something like. I can tell you everything about like the the setup of the clocks in this location as, and you're still not going to be able to solve this puzzle, like no chance. But if I tell you about like the atomic structure, one level up, oh, suddenly this and this makes sense and you can sort of intuit this mm-hmm. and then you can figure it out. Um, and he says that like we got we to keep that in mind, that mm-hmm. every time you jump up a field and you're, mm-hmm. you're analyzing something at a different level, you, you have different um, opportunities to figure out different things which Mm -hmm. don't actually exist if you're analyzing it at a small level. Yeah. Um, And I think this is the case with, when we think about stuff like happiness and satisfaction, uh, it's a trap to think about it on the level of dopamine and serotonin Mm. and related neuropeptides, because all of those, they sort of ebb and flow according to um, uh, what actually seem to be broader narrative markers. Mm. So it's like, I think serotonin and maybe testosterone, they both measure like, social progress mm. it's like i'm in a new place and uh you know i meet the local townsfolk and they they, they seem to like me so my territory spikes and mm. it's not and it's not the case that um that's maintainable right so you can have like a sort of background level which is sort of nice but because they're, they're supposed to measure like narrative markers um, it's impossible to actually have them flooded all the time mm. uh, and what you actually and you shouldn't want them to be flooded all the time because it's like really pathologically unhealthy when Mm -hmm. they are. I mean, what you actually need to be doing is not looking at it as how do I get dopamine now all the time, but like how, how do I follow through on some um, broader narrative here? Mm. Like if you look at, if you look at like stuff in your life that you've pursued in the past that have been, you know, Challenging, but not impossible. Like mm. you'll go in, and you know it'll follow something like the standard um plot for a drama. Mm. Like you'll go in, and you'll um, uh, what is it? You know, you you'll have like the like the, the call to adventure, right? That's the mm. idea showing up. It's, it's, you'll go, oh, mm. man, better do this, and then you'll work at it for a bit. And it looks so sort of promising, and that's really nice. And then you'll have like the um, the, what is it the 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 tragic second act, right? Mm. That's that's um, that's the Empire Strikes Back in Star Wars. Mm. It's like, oh no, things are going really bad mm. now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's like uh, the Empire Strikes Back in Star Wars. Mm. It's like everything, things are going really bad now, and then like um, you sort of have to figure that, figure out a way to overcome that that darkest moment and um. Get through the other end and 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 achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So in Star yeah. Wars, it's like the end of the empire, and like the end of the empire feels nice, and like everyone hanging around and getting medals feels nice. But like that whole process is sort of validated by that endpoint. You know, mm. it's not like if Luke just woke up one day and said, "Man, we you know what I'd really like. I'd really like to just get a medal and stand on a platform mm. in front of thousands yeah. of cheering yeah. aliens." Yeah, and then he got it that afternoon. It's like. He yeah. wouldn't be particularly happy about it. We wouldn't be particularly happy about it. Yeah. Um, and, like, at best, he would have filled an afternoon. Yeah. But actually, he managed to fill, I don't know, months. Yeah. <laughs> With that compelling narrative. Yeah.
1: Another way to think about it is, is can you really have pleasure without pain? Can you really uh, have any good fit sensation without the bad sensation to compare it to? And is sensing a comparative process? Do you, when you sense pleasure is it always only relative to all the pain that you've experienced that you can say, "Oh, wow, this feels amazing because of the pain that I experienced. Can someone feel pleasure if they've never felt pain? All that kind of thing.
0: Right. So, I mean, these, these questions are are definitely related. They're adjacent questions, Hmm. but um, I think that this idea of comparing um, pain and pleasure of saying, can you have, uh, can you have pleasure without pain? It's, it's, strikes me as sort of um, a bit like reductionist to zero. It's like either way you got to sort of average and like to the extent that you suffer, then you're, you're capable of feeling good, which, you know, a, a seems kind of defeatist, but also B doesn't seem to really map to reality. And what I think is sort of maybe a, a more accurate way of thinking of it and a more helpful way of thinking of it is um, <clears throat> that if, if there's a coherent, intentive narrative uh going on in, inside your not necessarily on the neuropeptide level, right? It might be it might be on a higher level. It's not it's not clear how exactly mm. the brain processes stories, but it's very clear that humans process stories.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so if there's if there's a um something worthwhile that that you're striving for, uh then the um the negative experiences along the way actually get reframed as like worthwhile struggle mm. rather than just like pointless, pointless suffering. Mm. And then that they themselves have, um, have a positive valence to them. I mean, I'm sure you've found this in your own life. Like mm. you'll, you'll, you find something you're really working for. And yeah. A struggle moment in the middle and you're like, ah. Oh.
1: Yeah. There's some, some, you reclaim some of that struggle. Uh, you reinterpret it as, 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 as part of your struggle to get to where you got, Humans do that all the time. Yeah. We, always say, we always end up saying, oh, but I'm happy I, I divorced. I'm happy I didn't take that job. Or I'm happy I did whatever I did because it led to what I have now. And we always do that. We always justify. Well, there's
0: the, there's the justifying it in, in reverse, right? But there's also that even when you're in the middle of it, if it really feels that what you're going through is like an important part of where you're trying to get, and you really feel that, not like you try to convince yourself of it, but that, that really makes sense in your bones then um, even in the moment, it can, it can feel um, worthwhile. And mm. that, that feeling of worthwhile can actually be potent enough that, that the experience overall is an enjoyable experience mm. rather than just being miserable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it uh, reminds me of um, something called ACT therapy. It's a kind of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that trains you to focus more on meaningfulness rather than happiness so if you're always chasing dopamine first of all it's it's not you're going to end up falling into a trap of uh of uh you know drug addiction or addiction to something um and you're not going to be happy things that you find enjoyable tomorrow you you will not be so interested in and so you're going to fall into the, the happiness trap So chasing that kind of lower level, as you said, the dopamine is, on the first instance, it's it's not not very practical. Um, And uh, rather than that, you kind of look to a higher higher meaning, a higher purpose. You you ask yourself instinctively what's meaningful, what do I find meaningful in my life? You could it could be helping others, it could be being creative, it could be exploring, it could be learning. And uh, following that rather than just uh, a knee-jerk reaction to whatever might give me some bit of happiness and move in that direction reflexively. Uh, so that there's that, and that, that seems to be proven as, as a technique to, to help people that lowers the, the, the um, cases of suicide, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that, with that, you're looking kind of to a higher purpose, a high, higher meaning. A lot of people say, you know what? I'm suffering, but it doesn't matter because, and then they kind of rise above the pain and pleasure um, comparison yeah, and they find something more important than that and it gives uh it helps them in in their struggle so yeah, so that's definitely a thing to 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 have in your life I've definitely kind of tried to incorporate that more in my darkest moments as well kind of helped me too it seems like you know when you're in the throes of a depression like nothing's working but at after when you come out of it you you realize that oh actually that that really did help so there's something to say about that coming back to the kind of the philosophical question that we were talking about a second ago you know you could one person might say, "Oh, everything is relative, so yeah. you you're only happy because you you you, you, you compare it to suffering. like someone who someone who is living in misery, they don't know better, so they interpret their misery as uh, normal. So they recalibrate, and the moments of less misery are their, their happy moments in their life, so to speak. I don't agree with that right. line of thinking. I think. Let's say you, you have two pigs and you feed one cheesecake its whole life and the other one you, you, you let's say you whip it its whole life and you ask who is the, the, the pig with the cheesecake Did it live a happier life? Would you prefer to be you know the pig with, with the cheesecake? I think you'd, you'd prefer to be the pig you would, you, you would probably wouldn't take a risk on it and you probably say, you know what? The recalibration of that the whipped pig experiences probably doesn't account for and and recreate the kind of uh, the the experience of the cheesecake, you know. So I think that there's some absolute level. Not not everything is relative.
0: No, it's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting you mentioned this particular case because um I remember. in psychology, there's this, there's this field called psychophysics, which is um, attempts to um, what measure like the like consistencies of perception. So, like one of the findings of psychophysics is if you give someone an, um, uh, like two objects, object A and object B, and like object B is like twice as heavy as object A, and you ask like which one's heavier, they'll say oh B. They'll, they'll know which one's heavier. And you just ask how much heavier, they'll really consistently say that I think that object B is four times heavier than object A. It's twice as heavy, but it feels four times heavy consistently. Yeah. And we're not sure why, but, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we check on this. And one of the findings of psychophysics, and I I don't know how they found this, and quite quite frankly, I probably don't want to,
1: um,
0: is that I think there's no, um, uh, there is is no, uh, what's, what's the phrase? To become, it's like a technical phrase meaning to become accustomed to something might be a company but um
1: something like calibration uh, something like the yeah.
0: testing to yeah acclimatization yeah one of those words uh but it doesn't happen for acute pain like mm-hmm. people who are in who, who receive like acute pain or animals i think they tested on rats maybe yeah. like there are a lot of things that they'll just get used to like bad smells you get used to yeah um Extreme weather conditions, I think you get used to, but yeah, but like acute pain, like just never, they never get used yeah. to it. Mm. Like a rat getting an electric shock will always be yeah, yeah. upset, and on yeah, 100 that's on day one. In fact, may even be more
1: upset, mm. but um,
0: like mm. I think that's that's you know, that's that's one of those things, that yeah, really,
1: yeah. Uh, and feeling away, that's an interesting one. or you could also feel the pleasure of things, and you could say, I mean, you could you could quantify pleasure and say, uh, how many units of pleasure does this lolly give you? We talked about this years yeah. ago, and you could I like, had a word for it called haps. haps. So you could say that uh, this lolly, sucking on it, gave me ten haps. Mm. Uh, so if that was ten haps, how much is this sandwich? So if this sandwich is three hundred. How much is this massage? How much was this movie? How much was this conversation? Mm. You could you could think about life in terms of haps and sads, you know? I think that's ultimately um, the ultimate truth, you know, like the, the, the phrase, I think, therefore, I am. You could make something similar to the effect of uh, the only thing that's really true is that pain is bad and pleasure is good. It's, that's that's like the only, you know, you know in your bones that pain is bad and pleasure is good to you and it's, it's something you, you could say oh but people some people enjoy pain but that for them that's that's a form of right. pleasure it, it, you know so but you could you could always say so, so it's almost like an absolute comparison we're absolute comparison sensing organisms in, in a sense because we, we know instinctively this is better than this we're very good at that how much better we're mm. not so good well, well I
0: think like on, the, on that made
1: that might work,
0: but I mean, can I just put it back on this a little yeah. bit? Cause I, th- I think that um, it's fine if you were, like imagine a system where there are only um, two sorts of things and one of them is pain and one of them is pleasure. But like, then you have the issue of like comparing things that aren't really commensurable. Like mm-hmm. what is the, what's the equivalent? Um, like, how do you, how do you compare serenity to mm-hmm. um, excitement? Yeah. Both of them maybe are haps, but they're different sorts of haps. Mm. And, like, excitement is the sort of hap that, like, necessarily burns itself out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, it has to. Unless yes. you redouble on it, but then it crashes. Yeah.
1: Whereas serenity is something that you well, can... Well, you could ask someone, would you rather a, um, a day of pleasure or a day of serenity? What would you rather? See, That, that the rather question tells you what's better which is an absolute, compa- which is an absolute comparison. You could ask someone. No, you just it's, it's it's instinctive, so and it's different to every person. And I think people are
0: really bad at like predicting their own state. They're really bad at knowing what they're actually enjoying, what they wouldn't.
1: They're really bad, but everything else is worse in a in a sense. Sure, like, sure. Yeah. Like you can, but but
0: but then like we've got. I, I'm not saying that. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm, I, like I'm not saying that. There are better ways of figuring stuff out. There might be, there might not be. But I'm saying that um, it just relying on that mechanism alone—that like mm. I'm going to ask you that question of which would you rather—and then saying, well, therefore, serenity is better than bliss, or bliss mm. is better than mm.
1: no. You uh, can't you can't conclude that serenity is better than bliss. Therefore, this example, everything is yeah. You can't you can't do that. Right. Yeah. So well, it's it's not it's hard to compare the two. So all you can do is. Say what would you rather, mm. and you go in that direction, and that's the best you can do. Um, so uh, I think a, I think thinking in those terms, kind of, it helps you in life to to say stop, think how many haps is this giving you, right? It, it's on, to some degree, how much happiness is this giving you, and should I stop doing this? A lot of people suffer unnecessarily because they they hate themselves and they and they want to up so they don't you know jordan peterson uh, one of his rules for life i think is treat yourself as you were something someone else that you're responsible for taking care of and when you think in those terms then you think about the welfare of the person are they are you happy i want to do do something for you and when you talk about yourself you you don't maybe when you're depressed you you, you get into a lot of self-hating uh, I think the idea—the idea of quantifying happiness, and then uh, thinking about it in those terms—maybe helps someone to get in 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 the uh, in, in the habit of maybe perhaps caring about themselves mm. a bit more.
0: Well, it, it could help you with, um, I suppose, with caring behaviors because one of the things that, like this, this is again—I mean, just on, on the subject of meditation and, and, and ancient wisdom. Uh, the uh, people get hooked on things really easily, um, and and the ability to step back and go, okay, how happy is this really making me? Mm. And go, well, to be honest, like not very. Mm. I'm still doing it because, like you know, my my dopamine circuitry is pretty much mm. hooked, linked into this thing right now, but. If I'm honest with myself, what does it give me? Like 150 haps an hour. I yeah, but know.
1: it's giving me about a thousand sads tomorrow. Right. So when you you don't think it happens, when you stop quantifying, I guess you kind of you lose a little bit of insight as to how much misery you're bestowing upon yourself.
0: Well, what's really interesting to to, to um, about this to me is um, one of the one of the techniques they talk about is is turning. Um, turning the mind's weapons against itself or something, figuring out how to use that, which makes you miserable, um, as a tool for making you not miserable. Mm-hmm. And so like, it, it's interesting because we sort of started by talking about how, um, thinking, like being trapped in, in a mode of thinking rather than in a mode of perceiving. Um, it often leads to like spirals of, of negative, mm. uh, of negative thought and worry, anxiety. And, um, and that's difficult because, like, especially for people who have like very analytical minds, um, and and so what you've what you seem to have come across with this um, haps and sads thing is a way of using that same penchant for analysis, mm-hmm. that same sort of um, instinct to set to, to pull things apart and analyze their mm-hmm. components, and then you're using that as a, as a way of um, performing that that great um, that great task of the contemplatives of sort of taking a step back from whatever it is that you're engaged in and, and, and mm-hmm. saying, oh, maybe I don't need to be as hooked on this mm. as I thought.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, well, I haven't thought of it that way, but yeah, that kind of makes sense. I also kind of almost jokingly use it as a way of communicating how you feel. Mm. So if my partner has said something really unfair or annoying or something, I might say, that's about 100 sads, like, don't do that. <laughs> And she's like, "Is that a hundred sads, really? Oh, okay, wow, whatever." She might say, "Ooh, uh, that's that's hilarious. Maybe I can get to two hundred or something." <laughs> so, press on the wound. yeah, yeah, she yeah. So, um, so that's that's something um, you might you might maybe maybe one day when we sell sell pleasure machines in the brain, we might quantify the pleasure and say this is you know hundred a hundred haps per press or per dollar or something. It could be very as we become cyborgs, things become a bit more binary and quantified. Maybe we might be able to quantify pleasure in some some degree and might be able to sell that in 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 kind of weird kind of amounts or something like that. That might be a reality. Yeah, we might start to think a bit more about happiness as a quantity as a resource, as, a, as something that can be quantified in numbers. And at least when you do that, you start to get, get a sense of scale. This is 10, awesome. this is 100, this is 1,000. Rather than saying, this has made me sad, this made me really sad. The, the, there's a bit more finesse in, in the numbers rather than the words, I think. You know? so, but we'll wait and see what happens Could in be. that front. We'll yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wait yeah. and see. Oh, on the subject of, um, of selling happiness... Um, give me a quick update on, on the, the company DJNA because like I, I remember ten years ago we were we were pushing um, uh, what was it just like high powered energy drinks in, in yeah. supermarkets and the the ways have diversified a lot since
1: yeah DJNA we're growing fast um, we are we're in the health food space we are trying to imagine reimagine uh, snacks. I like to think of myself as the savoury Willy Wonka in some, <laughs> some ways. That,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Because I found, I was, I was visiting Melbourne the other day. I think I maybe sent you a picture. I was in um, in Melbourne the other day and there was someone was like showing me something new in their pantry. It's like, oh, look at this. I think it was yeah. like wasabi peas or something. Yeah. yeah. And then I see the familiar DJ, DJ right yeah. on the top. Yeah,
1: yeah ex- absolutely. So working on a few interesting concepts. Yeah. Um, uh, one kind of way of thinking that I, um, I've gotten the habit into to, to, to using when I'm thinking about what to, to create is uh, reimagining something as a snack that wouldn't be considered a snack. So a beef curry, what would beef curry be? Well, normally it's a meal, it's a main, right? Yeah, normally it's a main. So what would it be as a snack? So there, isn't, there hasn't been that much in the savoury space, there's a lot more in the dessert space of reimagining things as other things, right. and, and there's a lot of creativity in the dessert space. But in the savoury space, it's very much fulfilling that you're hungry, you want to eat something with carbs and meat, and but there's a lot less playfulness in the savoury space. Yeah, and we're bringing that to the table, and so so things like. What would what would uh again, what would a beef curry be like as a snack? What would a chow mein be like as a snack? Uh with with all the elements that you might find, the, the vegetables and the noodles and, and the mushrooms and the whatever it might be, and uh making a meal of it. Uh yeah, so so that's kind of fun to do. And we're getting a lot of reception also because we're in the health space. People want to know what they're what they're putting in their bodies and they they, people are going back to nature there's a big trend towards the paleo the veganism uh, concern for the planet so people are going back to veggies a lot Mm -hmm. in the world meat is being reimagined and uh, plant based meat is absolutely massive Uh, so we're in that space and yeah we're we're growing there's a lot of demand for that Uh, and uh, our 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 DNA really is—it's all about innovation and trying to trying to find the next product that everyone wants. So that's that's where we are, and it's working well for us. Yeah. So nice. yeah,
0: it's. it's um, I I I think you mentioned to me that you're in uh, twenty countries now.
1: Yeah, well, twenty Muslim countries. Now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.
0: Um, I also, you got uh, kosher kosher certification for a bunch of your products recently.
1: Yeah, kosher certification for a whole bunch of products. We. Uh, are always looking to uh, help the kosher community, so to fi- have products that they don't have access to. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can, if you if you go onto the, I think, Kosher Australia website, you can see um, the list of kosher products that that we sell, K A ka.org. or is it .au? Yeah, .au, I think, something like that. Yeah. And then you search DJNA. Or you could contact us, DJNA, and then we can tell you what's we can send you a list of what's kosher at, uh, at that point in time. Cool. What's the best way of people getting in contact with you? Uh, well you could probably I don't I'm not really active in social media so much at the moment, but if you want to get in contact with DJA, that's DJAproducts.com. Uh, and you can go to the website, you can find the contact details there.
0: Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to some more delicious snacks. Yeah. Looking forward to some good card games and um, looking forward to some more good conversations.
1: Okay, it's been a pleasure.
0: Now I think we have a badminton game together. Yeah, <laughs> okay, absolutely. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have on the show. Good and Daniel can